welcome you into a victory Monday. The Browns are 2-2 two and two for the first time since 2014. First place in the AFC North. And last week, the sky wasn't falling. And yesterday, we kind of proved the sky clearly isn't falling. As the Browns go into Baltimore and they knock off the Ravens 40-25. to I'm Jason Gibbs. He's Nick Shook. He's Andrew Gribble. And gentlemen, uh, an impressive day in Berea. I'm sorry, in Baltimore, I should say. And more impressive impor- today, though. We're all here. It's We're all an impressive happy. day yeah, today. Very nice. Yes. I think I the sun's out, maybe. No, it's not out. Yeah. Not out yet. Okay. I'm hoping later today it will be. Uh, an impressive win in Baltimore. And you can say what you want, but it is always nice when fans at the other stadium are leaving long before the game ends. And that's how you know you've dominated them. And yesterday – they were leaving a good three or four minutes into the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was one of those games that uh, there was moments like this last year when you you saw the team turning it around, where you had that moment of adversity in the fourth quarter where your lead shrinks to six. The Ravens got that two point conversion, and you're like, "Oh, this is the, we've seen this situation before, and yeah. we've seen the the Browns be on the wrong end of the result by the end of it." And I think that feeling settled over a lot of people, especially people who are like, all right, this team's one and two. They've been struggling. But like they did last year with exercising a lot of those demons, the Browns exercised that big demon right away, didn't waste any time with Nick Chubb's 88-yard run, and that was it. I mean, it, there were there were more opportunities for the Ravens to get back in that game after two touchdowns, but that is a Baltimore team that is not equipped to be coming back from double-digit leads in the fourth quarter. So it, the defense really took it from there. So I just thought getting past that kind of moment of adversity was so big for this team, especially in a division game, to be 2-2. Two and two, the, div- the difference between 2-2 two and 1-3 two and one and three is just so massive. And now you get to go into San Francisco feeling really good about what you're doing. You know, it's funny because I think old Browns and maybe old Browns mindset that some of us still have ingrained in our conscience, um, and our, I think that we all were like, "Oh no, here it goes." This here's where it unravels. There's not one person in the radio booth that wasn't thinking. Yeah. It when it got down to six, here's where it unravels in the fourth quarter, and what should have been a great win turns into a loss. That's not what happened, but that is what happened to this team three weeks ago. I mean, almost the exact same scenario. The Browns come down and, and cut Tennessee's lead to a, a single score, and then Tennessee responds with a 75-yard screen to Derrick Henry for a touchdown, and that took the wind out of the Brown sails. They do that exact thing to the Ravens again on the road, and and I think you know it was obviously the difference in this game, but it was just refreshing to see this team that you know has had such high expectations and has dealt with so much I think uh, outside noise and adversity that comes from that to band together and immediately respond and then carry it all the way through the rest of the quarter. I mean, yeah, did that kind of ice the game? Yes, but you still needed to finish out that quarter to make sure. And they piled on and really made a statement by the time everything was over. It's good to win by 15 and know that the margin was wider, uh, if not for a garbage-time touchdown. Like that's, that's when you know it's good. It kind of reminded me of the Bengals game last year when you went into Cincinnati and dominated that game where the, the final score didn't do it justice. You can say that about this game. This was a really, in, in, in totality, a 40-18 to 18 victory. I mean, you, you dominated Baltimore in their stadium, uh, a Baltimore team that up until this point had been playing some really good football. All right, let's get right into it. Takeaways from Sunday. Your biggest takeaway on the offense and your game ball. On offense, Shook, we're going to start with you today. I'm going to go away from the popular picks here, which is that 
you know, this offense is, is in sync now and the running game and everything else. I'm going to go with the offensive line. I knew it. And I I'm going to go because I knew it, you were going to steal it. Yes. From me. And I'm sorry, but it, the difference is so drastic. I mean, I think Chris Hubbard is a solid football player. He's not an all pro tackle, but when he is included in that group, this this starting five just becomes so much more reliable. They protect longer. They're more stout up front. You get less penetration from the opposing defenses, and it allows Baker Mayfield the time necessary to work. And, and I mean, he looked comfortable after that first series. That first series looked more of the same, and then they came out in the second, uh, their second possession and really had probably their best drive up to that point of the entire season. It was methodical. It was, it was well-paced. They had a rhythm. They looked very confident in what they were doing and finished it with a well-designed play that got Ricky Seals-Jones open for a touchdown. And that all comes back to the offensive line's ability to open holes in the running game and to block consistently for Baker Mayfield. And for the first time this season, he looked like he trusted them entirely when he, got the, when he received the snap and dropped back to pass. And I think that made all the difference in the world for this team. So, yeah, everything else worked. You know, all the skilled players worked very well, but I don't think you go anywhere without the offensive line the way they played on Sunday. Gribble? I'll go with Baker Mayfield because I think that as he answered it in the press conference, the play calling always looks better when the quarterback doesn't suck. And I thought that he very much did not suck uh, against (laughs) the Ravens. And I thought that 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 drive that you just talked about was that – I know he's only a second-year player, but that was vintage Browns Baker on that second drive – throwing passes passes to six different wide receivers. That's that's what has been missing. I mean, he was throwing it to the open guy. They were easy throws. There was no kind of not even really a tight window throw that you had to make there. Taking what the defense gave him and marched them right down the field, even though you did face a first and 25 uh, on that drive. I mean, it was that that's exactly what people have been clamoring for, and it's what he gave you. And him playing well just opens up everything. Uh, Baker kind of carried you in the first half offensively. The Nick Chubb took over in the second half. And, and even then, Baker sprinkled in a couple big plays in the passing game in the second half to really get you down the field in a hurry. The first drive out of halftime, you go three plays, 75 yards. I mean, when he is good, this is a really good offense. He wasn't as good as he wanted to be those first three games. He was what you expected. I don't even put that interception on him in, in the first half, so I, I view it as a, a one-touchdown, no-interception kind of game. I can't put that on him. Uh, and so it, it's just this is what the offense should look like when you have your quarterback, your franchise quarterback, playing at that level. All you got to do, in Chubb we trust. Yeah. Give the ball to Chubb. I, right before halftime, you take a look at what happened inside the 10-yard line, and Baker with a running play, but three pass plays, or two pass plays, you have to kick the field goal. And you're just banging your head on the window going, give the ball to the man. Give the ball to the guy. Well, Freddie said, relax. We're going to give the ball to, to Nick Chubb. And they did. 20 carries, 165 yards, three touchdowns, the 88-yard touchdown, which is the third longest in team history. He owns two of the top three runs. The plays that he makes, the things he does, three catches in the football game as well, some really key blocks as well, not just from him but from the running backs in the, back, yeah. in the backfield as well yeah. on blitz pickups. Mm-hmm. Uh, an outstanding game for him, uh, and I credit it all to the Andrew Gribble pregame interview on radio, and uh, that's the reason. Really you know, not happened. not to pat myself on the back uh, from the award-winning edition, edition of Fact or Fiction before the game, but one of the questions was, is was Nick Chubb getting too many snaps the week before? Is that not good? And I said, fact. I thought he played too much against the Rams. Yeah. 
uh, you, you don't want your bell cow running back on the field for all but two plays, which is what happened the previous week. I thought there was maybe uh, – they want him to be a third down back, and it was almost an o- overcorrection. You had it back to normal this week on a hot day, and all of a sudden he looks like the freshest guy on the field in the fourth quarter. You had a big performance from Donchell Hilliard who helped ice the game away even further in the fourth quarter, had some really good bursts on some pass plays. That's the kind of balance you want at running back because you want your your running back not to be worn out at the end of the game. Not saying he was worn out against the Rams, but he was outrunning everyone on that big carry, and, and you got to credit it to, to the mixed usage that him and Dontrell Hilliard had out there. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you thought as we got in that fourth quarter that he might you know run out of gas, be a little bit tired, especially after that long run. He never got tired. And, I mean, that, that's a testament to how he works in the offseason, the way he's built. If you look at the guy and just the way he's physically built, he's thick. I mean, he's built for this. He's built to run through multiple defenders before going down and, and then also has that speed and that ability to really hit that extra gear and go the distance. But I do want to give credit one more point to Eric Cush who had a great block on that 88-yard touchdown run. You know, they run a quick toss to the right. He pulls out in front. J.C. Treader's trying to pull out behind him, which a center pullout is always an ambitious uh, endeavor. And, uh, and Eric goes out, kicks the first man he engages out, and then as the flow of the play continues this way, he immediately meets the second guy, takes care of both of them, pushes him outside. Chubb does a great job of reading that block going off his inside hip and right up the field the rest of its history. Yeah, it was a very impressive job by the offensive line yesterday. Yeah. yeah, Really, really job well done. On the defensive side of the ball, a takeaway, your game balls as well. Gribble. Uh, I mean, I'll give the, the easy game ball to Jermaine Whitehead. I mean, he was all over the field. I don't think he had a great first three games of this season. Had a few too many penalties. Uh, maybe wasn't matching what he had done in the preseason. But he came out and was just a, a, all over the place. Forced the fumble. Made the, the great interception in the end zone. I mean, this is the kind of player that we'd been hearing Steve Wilkes talk about all ever since he got here. And I, I think that it's just another – it's symbolic of this entire secondary, which it was, again, without three starters, and you wouldn't have noticed. I mean, there wasn't a single play where they looked like they got beat. Uh, they, they limited uh, Hollywood Brown. He never really broke out in any kind of way that game. Uh, Lamar Jackson never really had too many open throws. I say the one open throw he had was to a guy that stepped out of bounds. Uh, before making the play so I mean outside of that you your secondary just did another fantastic job for a second straight week led by Jermaine Whitehead and and you finally it it looked like that was a Ravens team that was not going to turn the ball over and all of a sudden you forced three turnovers uh, against a team that came in the game with zero turnovers. That was just a huge effort from the defense. Yeah, and, and they were timely turnovers. I think every turnover is, has somewhat of a timeliness to it but it seemed you know uh, the, the forced fumble that that Whitehead caused I mean, the Ravens were driving. They were going to come down and immediately answer what the Browns had done offensively, and then you immediately get that turnover and then go down and turn that into points, which is very important as well. But I think my game ball is tough because I kind of want to pick two guys here. Joe Schobert, statistically, crazy, excellent game. 17 combined tackles, a sack, uh, one QB hit, two tackles for loss. I mean, He was involved in that fumble, too. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, was, he, he had the first hit. He hit Ingram, yeah. and then Whitehead cleaned it up, and that's when he forced the ball out just before Ingram hit the ground. Great team effort there. But you know what? I'll tell you what, this is probably a two-game thing for me now. Larry Ogunjobi's really stood out. I mean, when you just watch the game and you watch what he's doing in the interior, he's not the biggest guy, but he's quick, and he's winning with his quickness and his strength and his hand ability. He's got these you know, very masterful hands that allows him to beat guys off the line. He destroyed Baltimore's right guard on a specific play uh, yesterday where he just had such a quick swim move, and he was in the backfield before you could even blink and made a tackle for loss. So, you know, he's had a, a good string of games here, and, and he really stood out to me. So Joe Schobert wins statistically, but Larry looks really good on tape, and, and so it could be a tie. 
It's always good when the Browns defense gets four sacks and Miles Garrett didn't have one of them. Yep. I mean that was a that was a we we saw it's a Olivier, quiet day for Miles. Yeah, I saw Olivier Vernon got involved. Uh, you see even Demarius Randall. Another that's now three sacks this season by safeties on this team. So something to keep an eye on. The I mean, safety that, blitz. It's always it's it, usually it's called well. Steve Wilkes always calls it at the right time. It always works. Olivier could have come out with a second one, but Lamar did a Houdini act to get that pass out. I mean that that was incredible. But uh, but. Uh, so big. I thought it was a big performance from Olivier Vernon, and really, this defensive line again equally as deep as the secondary. You had by far the most snaps of all of the entire season played by the backup defensive lineman. Devereaux Lawrence was out there for 29 snaps. Chris Smith 24. I think Chad Thomas had the fewest of the backup uh, defensive linemen, but still about 20, and he made a big play scooping up that fumble. Well, and that's where I was going with my game ball was those backup defensive yeah. linemen because midway through the third quarter. Our guys were gassed. Yeah, yeah. Our starters, and then they kind of subbed everybody out, and that's that that second you know line did exactly what you wanted it to do: pick up the pick up the slack, give the guys a breather, and created the created a big turnover. Yeah, Devereaux was again an animal when he came in. It was in fact he was so effective on a certain stretch of plays that people in the press box were wondering, oh, so that was Sheldon on that play, right? Ninety eight? No, no, that was ninety nine. Not quite as big, but just as effective. So. Yeah, it, the the depth up front is definitely showing. Yeah, impressive. And then in special teams, they just continue to make plays. Cybert two for two on field goals, seven for seven now on the year. Yeah, I, I mean eight of nine on extra points. Scottish Hammer didn't have his best net day, but didn't have to do much. Didn't have to. Yeah, exactly what you want from your punter. A yeah. nice quiet afternoon on the sideline. Yeah. I thought Seibert's under underrated moment of the game was Seibert's long field goal there in the fourth quarter, Make, making that a 15-point yep. game. I thought that was significant, and that was one of those where if you miss that, that, that could also turn into a momentum swing uh, for Baltimore there where they're not quite dead yet. But that field goal there I thought was big because it just gives you – even though it was still a two-possession game, it gives you just a little bit more breathing room where you, where you felt where you felt better about your lead. Yeah, because you feel in that situation, even if they were able to make up those 15 points, they would have to do so by getting that two-point conversion, which they would obviously go for, or understandably, most you know usually go for the second time they would score. It just makes the task that much greater for them to erase a deficit. So the mental aspect of it, both the boost in confidence for him to be able to hit from distance, which he's proven he's actually better from longer field goals than shorter, um, and and remaining perfect on the on the year uh, as a field goal kicker, and then, you know, winning that mental side as well. It really helped. All right. Unsung hero. Who's the guy, or I, I guess maybe the position group we can lob in there too, uh, that had a bigger impact than maybe what we're talking about here today? I'll go with the Browns' tight ends as a whole. I think that, that they've been put in a tough spot without David Njoku. And I know Ricky Seals-Jones is the guy that made the big plays in this game, but that group as a whole – all of them played a bunch. I think that Ricky Seals-Jones had the fewest snaps of the group with like 21, but Farrell Brown was out there more than he's ever been Playing this season. Fullback. And, I, and I think Demetrius Harris didn't play as much as he did the previous week, but he played the majority of plays. And that allowed you – it showed that there was more trust in going with two tight end packages, which if the numbers show that's what Baker likes playing out of perhaps the most. And it showed that – after maybe being a little bit reluctant to put those guys in pass-catching situations, all of them were out there running routes, giving Baker some options, and he did not hesitate to throw. I thought the most impressive moment was when Baker threw a back-shoulder throw to Ricky Seals-Jones on third down. That takes timing, trust, chemistry, and, and that, that's a guy that's been on the team for only a few few weeks, and he, he showed this pass game. I don't know if I want Ricky Seals-Jones out there blocking for me on third and one, <laughs> 
but he's a former wide receiver, has good hands, and he looks like a wide receiver when he has the ball in his hands. And I, I thought that was an impressive game. And he gives you the element that you're missing with David Njoku out. He's not the same kind of talent that David Njoku is, but he has the pass-catching ability that can really help you out in, in his absence. You know, it's funny that the we all saw – you know, the impact that Seals Jones made. It seemed like every catch he made was important, which which I think is key. Freddie talked about it afterward uh, that, you know, he wasn't surprised because he knew what he could do. I mean, when you see a guy like that on the waiver wire, you do everything you can to go get him. And, and I think they were very pleased to get him at the time, and he's obviously proving his worth now. It, it amazes – I mean, what were the Browns on the waiver wire, on that waiver wire? 17? Yeah, and yeah. you know what? It was pointed out yesterday by Bob Labriola of the Steelers. The Steelers put in a claim for Ricky Seals Jones, too. So he would have gone to Pittsburgh had the Browns not claimed him, and the Steelers just had to trade a fifth-round pick to get a backup tight end yeah, on board. Vance so, McDonald's in a sling. Yeah, who so, knows what's going to happen. Yep, and yep. I think Xavier Grimble's out for the season, so they had to make a move, and they had to give up another draft pick for a backup tight end. So uh, double double score there by getting a guy that can help you out and hurts the Steelers. And then on the Farrell Brown side, you know, he had a catch the week before. It was negated by penalty, so I, I saw him in the locker room after. I go, hey – Congrats! You got a catch that wasn't taken away. He said, "Yeah, I caught it. I got up and I looked around, and I was looking in all directions. Is there a flag? Oh no! Okay, this is a catch. I'm actually going to keep this." That was a big one too. That was 18 yards on first and 25, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was that got back a ton. Yes, and then ended up scoring on that drive. Yeah, not too shabby. Your unsung hero, Mr. Shook. I'm going to go with a surprise, and it's going to be Odell Beckham Jr. because statistically he didn't have a great game, but his presence on the field. The, the Ravens always had to account for it. I mean, from the start of the game all the way to the end, and there were many times uh, where him being there opened up things for everybody else. Uh, the most notable one is the Ricky Seals-Jones touchdown catch. You know, they run a mesh play. Beckham runs the drag to the right. You got They got linebackers in zone. The middle linebacker sees him crossing. As Ricky is crossing, Beckham's crossing, and he sees 13, and he starts to take a step and a half toward that toward Beckham, and by that point, he's given Seals-Jones five yards. He's got his momentum. He's already moving. By the time the pass is out there, there's no one to defend him. He walks into the end zone for a touchdown. That's the type of effect you can have on the field, even if you're not making those catches. They played good defense on him for the most part uh, throughout that game, and that's why he was limited to his stat line that he had, which is you know two catches, 20 yards on seven targets, but... All the other open space that was created by them paying attention, even Seals Jones' other catch, the the long catch down the sideline, uh, was a product of the Ravens trying to double-team Odell Beckham. So, I mean, <laughs> sometimes it's not statistic, but it's, it's on the field, and, it, and it's obvious when you watch it, and Odell Beckham has that impact on every game. We want to talk about waiver claims, my unsung hero. You know, we talk about Seals Jones, but Kaderil Hodge, oh, yeah. time in and time again – He's down the field, and he's the first one making the stop. It's either him or Tavi or Thomas yep. every time down the field on special teams. And Hodge just – the Ravens could not break anything. And, and back-to-back weeks, you're going up against elite special teams units. And he's a big reason why they were held in check yet again. Special teams coordinator Mike Prefer said uh, at the end of last week, the reason that these guys are so good – at, at special teams, which is usually a chore for most players, you would think about it would be a chore is because they they love it. They just want to be out there and be the best at it, and I think you're seeing the product of that. Well, yeah, Prefer said he was one of the best gunners in the NFL, and he couldn't believe that he got released by the Rams. So it, it's it's a good find to have. I think he definitely has a place on this team moving forward no matter what because you've, you've just come so far on special teams uh, in, the, in one year that you've got to keep all these guys in place yep. moving forward. Yeah. Uh, an impressive performance as well. Uh, obviously, the big injury from yesterday, Jarvis Landry, 
in concussion protocol. We'll see how things play out with him as the week goes. I mean, if, you, if you're Freddie and company on the offensive side, you're hoping that Antonio Callaway is in playing shape and, and ready to go here for whatever uh, might face the Browns one week from today when we go to San Francisco. And you're hoping that Hollywood Higgins is finally able to get back on the on the field as well. Yeah, it helped to have both those guys back. It might be hard to expect a ton out of Callaway, it being his first action since the suspension, but he's got to be ready to go. Yeah. I just wouldn't expect a, a full workload, at least initially for him. But you do have the extra day with Jarvis. Not saying that it, it, it'll make a difference, but the, this, the, those things always help. Not a lot of guys come back from a concussion after a week, but it's happened before. So if you can have him back, it would be huge for the offense. If not, you still have Odell Beckham. You still could have Rashard Higgins out there. You, still, you should be fine. Davian Ratley's been, been solid. You should have enough to, to, to believe you can go into San Francisco and do what you just did in Baltimore. It's kind of uh, it was a little bit eye opening to me when you were just listing those names that the Browns haven't had Antonio Callaway, Rashard Higgins, and even you know for a quarter yesterday, Jarvis Landry, and the, and the fact that they could put up these points that they did. I mean, they've been making do, and that's a part a big part of the process of being a, a winning team in the NFL over the course of a seventeen week season is being able to adjust on the fly when you know you lose guys like that, whether it's to injury or suspension or whatever else. And so far, they're doing a good job of it. Yeah, the key name to watch is Ratley because it sounded like Freddie Kitchens was. A, applauding him yesterday after the game because he, ha- he has the ability to play all three positions. So if you have Higgins back, ideally you put Ratley where Jarvis is and Higgins back in his old spot, and then you should be all right. Yeah, I, I think we watch and-, and wait. Sheldon Richardson got dinged up a little bit, but he came back to action. Uh, and if it's something like a, a hand, that's the best position where I guess it happens. Club it up. If he's got a claw or club, club it, up. it up. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's he's not a wide receiver, even though Devereaux looked like one catching that yeah. deflected. It was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, a job well done. It's going to be a weird week again. You know, we practice on Tuesday, off Wednesday, and then it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday type practice schedule. And then we got to fly to the West Coast. And uh, for personal reasons, I love going an extra day early. We will not be going an extra day early. We will get in Sunday night and we will play on Monday night. West Coast, there's a lot of factors here. It's a, it does not get any easier for this football team. Uh, and then a quick turnaround with Seattle. We're not looking to Seattle yet. Seattle plays Thursday, too, so they're going to have 10 days. Yeah. Uh, that's the, this, this 49er week is going to be a little different and a little weird, I think, for this football team. But I, I, I go back to last year. This team's best games have hap- all happened on the road. I mean, some of the, the best performances under Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens, and, 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 and company all on the road. I think they've had a couple. I think their best home game was the Falcons game, maybe followed up by that Panthers game. Otherwise – you know, you had the Bengals on the road, that Broncos game on the road. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things where they just seem a little bit more dialed in, a little more focused. And I, I don't even know what the records are. I, I can't imagine when the last time the Browns opened the season three and zero on the road. Yeah, and right now it's been since ninety four for two and zero on the road. Right, right now zero and two at home, two and on the road. So it's not a bad thing that we're going to be hitting the road again this week. All right, what do we look for as the Browns get ready for the Forty ers We'll preview the Forty ers later in the week, but. You know, what are some things that you're watching for this week in practice? What do we got to work on? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, this seems like an easy answer, but what do you do in the secondary when you start getting these guys back? Can you just go back to not playing these guys who have played so well these last couple weeks? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, Denzel Ward's back. You put Denzel Ward in the field. Greedy Williams is back. You put Greedy on the field. But it's just, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see how things shake out, especially with Jermaine Whitehead, if Morgan Burnett's able to come back. Jermaine Whitehead's played so well. He's still out there for a lot of three safety looks, but you're going to be cutting down 
a, a decent chunk of playing time for a secondary that's really kept you in the game both of these games really just shut down not really shut down but limited what these other teams do best so once you start getting guys healthy it'll be interesting to see how uh, after what you do after you've been so impressed by by guys that have played yeah you know we've showered praise on John Dorsey for the work he's done in, in re- reshaping this roster and getting big name talents like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and and you know everybody else but Wow, what a job he's done with this defense, and especially the secondary. I mean, deeper, and, and and just as much credit goes to Steve Wilkes for putting him in the perfect positions to make plays, but, I mean, this is way deeper of a group than I think we realized, and they've really proven their worth in the last two weeks. Yeah, no question about it. All right, we will get ready for week number five of the 2019 football season. Another trip to Monday night. And a trip to San Francisco to take on the 49ers, although it's like Santa Clara. It's not San Francisco. We're not staying anywhere close to San Francisco. Sadly. Sadly, indeed. Uh, For Andrew Gribble, for Nick Shook, I'm Jason Gibbs. We're back with you later in the week. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe to Best Podcast Available. uh, Or log on to clevelandbrowns.com for this one or any of our previous episodes that featured Austin Seibert. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, Christian Kirksey, just to name a few guys. All that and later in the week, a preview of Monday Night Football between the Browns and 49ers. This has been the best podcast available.